These fights were mediocre. Marcus Perez dressed as the Joker. With the fight selections and the fight reflections, this is fighting with myself. Oh, 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 fighting with myself. Oh, 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 yeah. Welcome to the Fighting With Myself podcast, a podcast for the average MMA fan, hosted by an above-average man. And I am that man. My name is Juice. Welcome to my show. I have to admit, after the, the fights ended, kind of the morning after, when I saw everyone tweeting about how much of a shitty card it was, I was tweeting, guys, it wasn't that bad. It, it was okay. They were pretty good. And then I realized, I only watched the good ones. I missed a lot of the bad ones. I fucking left right before the Paul Craig fight, meaning left my house, and then I rewatched everything this morning. So I missed the the fucking the Paul Craig Shogun fight and the main event, which were eh, so terrible. And then I also um, started late, so I kind of missed like the first round of the Brow fight, or like half of the first round, and I missed those. Um, uh, opening fights between Lipsky and um, and Tracy Cortez as well. I like separately. They didn't fight each other. The, their fights um, actually pretty good. Lipsky had a pretty good fight, um, which we're going to get to a little bit in the forum. Uh, but I didn't cover that last week. I wasn't too too excited about it. I, I kind of was like disappointed in Lipsky's um, UFC run so far. But she's showing that um, I think you know it makes you wonder just how good is Molly McCann. And fucking Joanne Calderwood. Which, by the way, Michael Bisping and Brendan Fitzgerald fucking got um, her name wrong. Or they got things wrong. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Brendan Fitzgerald called Joanne Calderwood a Brit. She's Scottish. Which I guess is sort of like they're, they're part of the UK, so I don't, I don't know if that's a thing. But... Um, then Michael Bisping called her Joanna Calderwood. I was like, dude, that's so fucking disrespectful. Um, but other than that, that was a good fight. And then um, as far as like the bangers that I wanted to talk about for the prelims was um, Warley Alves versus Randy Brown. Great. I mean, Randy Brown was like an inch from being finished. Uh, he got it was in a pretty tight rear naked choke, which he kind of gutted out. I was I was really impressed with that, and the neck crank was nasty that um, Warley Alves had like transitioned to. I mean, this is a guy that um, submitted Colby Covington, and, and you guys are all high on Colby Covington, so he's damn good. Um, I'm sure, Randy Brown um, might might be getting his black belt now. So I th- I th- believe he's a brown belt. If you submit a black belt as a brown belt, you get a black belt. I mean, that's how it works. At least that's how it should. Uh, but that was a nice um, triangle submission for him. And, um, dude, Francisco Trinaldo uh, versus Bobby Green was um, a decent fight. Um, I always like watching Bobby Green. Um, but um, glad to see Trinaldo get the win since he got fucking robbed against Alex Hernandez a while ago. And goddamn, uh, Sergio Moraes versus James Cross was amazing. James Cross is fucking great at 170. I don't know why he was ever fighting at 155. That was a terrible mistake. He looked like death at the fucking weigh-ins. He was so drawn out and skinny. Now he can like, he's not even really bulking up. He's just sort of more, more fighting more healthy and and more natural and not having as big of a cut. I'm sure he still cuts a little bit. He's a he's a pretty big dude, um, but um, he fucking put put a clinic on Sergio Moraes. 
And, um, yeah, I was really happy to see him get that win because James Cross is a hell of a guy. And as, as far as the main card goes, yeah, it was a little lackluster, but I, I still thought there were some exciting moments. The Marcus Perez versus Wellington Terminal fight was exciting, and um, I wanted Wellington Terminal to win, so I was really fucking happy about that. I actually, like, you know what's interesting? Like, I am a proponent of, like, cosplay at weigh-ins and things like that, and, like, people need to do more things like that. And But for some reason, when Marcus Perez came out as the fucking Joker, I was like, dude, I want you to get your ass beat. And I don't I don't know why. But just because I already had picked Wellington Terman, like, stylistically, I thought he was going to um, be a, a tough matchup for him. Because uh, Marcus Perez just kind of goes out guns a-blazing, and Wellington Terman, like, went the distance with Carl Roberson, which is way more impressive to me than it probably was to a lot of you initially, especially given how, like, Carl looked um, last week in Moscow. So... Um, I was really, um, I was really looking forward to that fight. Did not disappoint at all. Um, Arroyo versus Muniz did disappoint, dude. Or Ahoyo, um, bro, that friggin' fake illegal knee, which I, I guess it's still kind of, it's tough because like, apparently in the slow mo replay, first the thing they noticed was that. The knee didn't connect flush. It was more the thigh, which isn't that sort of still like a thing, right? I don't know if it is or it should be, but it, it's close enough. It's kind of like it, you're throwing a knee strike, right? No one actually wants to throw a thigh strike. Like that's not a fucking real technique. And then apparently also in the slow-mo replay, his knees weren't fully down. So, and I, I guess the new rule is like anything other than your feet um, connect and you're you're down so that was one thing but yeah um, Bisping was spot on with the commentary saying he should have a fucking career as an actor because he sold the fuck out of that but I think it was like a t- like he was trying to fucking like take advantage of it to recover because they were gassing and um, he also didn't have like the right like he was definitely worried about Muniz's jujitsu because he was not wanting to go down to the ground whenever he had Muniz down but, dude, back up, let him up, and, like, beat him up on the feet. Because Arroyo was winning, or Ahoyo was winning some of the striking exchanges. But Muniz obviously was a fucking beast on the ground. And so I was happy that Muniz got that win. Especially as a short notice. Obviously, I picked against him, but um, he's definitely he's definitely a contender in that, in that weight class. 185 now is, like, shaping up to be a really deep weight class. Before, it kind of wasn't. And now you've got so many like contenders, uh, which is awesome. And then, dude, Charles Oliveira versus Jared Gordon. Now, I like Charles Oliveira a lot. He's fucking awesome, and he is a really good submission artist. Also, getting it done with his hands lately, which is which is fucking just like a new level to his game. Uh, but I also like I'm a big Jared Gordon fan, and he's he's a super nice guy, and his story is just crazy. Like if you if you don't already know his story, you should look it up. Sean O'Shaughty did a great piece on him years ago um, about how he's been, he was a junkie and he's overdosed like three times. And even like once as a kid, uh, I think he was like raped. It's a, it's a crazy story. He's, he's just overcome so much. So every time Jared Gordon fights, someone's going to be rooting for him. And uh, I'll be honest, I was also like picking specifically against Oliveira just to fuck with my friend Buddy. Uh, for the MMA marks, but 
uh, happy for him to get the win for sure. Um, and dude, he called out Conor McGregor in his post fight speech, which is so random. Uh, like really random. Like, was he harboring fucking like ill will from the Aldo fight or something? Like, why? We've never heard you talk about him before. You even like was talking about how he was trying to get more shine or whatever. So he he dressed up during media day. Like, dude, Conor McGregor was like the king of like dressing up in fucking press conferences and stuff. So like that that to me is just so funny that he's calling him out. Like, like you're taking everything I work for, motherfucker. <laughs> like, not really, but like in Portuguese. Um. But fuck it, I tweeted out like, sign me up for that. Like, uh, that's a dangerous fight for Conor, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Charles Oliveira is a beast, and good for him. He's been in the UFC a long time. The, one thing bothers me though, like people are calling him like the greatest submission artist because he has he's got the wins, uh, he's got the record for most wins. But to me, like being a good submission artist also means you should have good submission defense. And the fact that he got guillotined twice in a row by uh, Anthony Goddamn Pettis and Ricardo Lamas um, at featherweight is like a little bit to me like not that he should he's terrible obviously but to me that's why Damian Maya should be above him in that in that regard but um, it kind of doesn't really matter anyway it's just sort of like a fictitious title like you know what I mean um, but def- definitely. That was not expected, and not not enough people are talking about this, by the way. And this is going to sound like I'm a, a like a Jared Gordon stan or something, because ultimately I don't think it had like a big impact. But in the, in the slow motion replay, like they showed that when when Oliveira caught him with the first shot, it looked like there was a clash of heads on the way down. Now, obviously, that wasn't like an intentional headbutt and whatever, and and Gordon kind of popped back up. But to me, like that, I think that affected how bad the first shot was. Um, I mean, he was kind of rushing in, and they caught, caught him with the momentum. So maybe it was already going to be really bad. But who knows? Look into it. That's all I'm saying. Now this Paul Craig Shogun fight, the first round was awesome. If and the, and to be honest, like that first round is what I expected the whole fight to be. I did not expect Shogun to be like wary of Paul Craig's jujitsu. I mean, yeah, that's his best method of, of victory. But Shogun is like uh, a veteran and like trends with really good jiu-jitsu guys. So I, I just thought like he would be able to hang with them on the ground. Like, I don't know why he was just kind of kicking his legs and not willing to go down, which is which is why like when people were like, Shogun won rounds two and three decisively. I'm like, did he though? Don't get me wrong, it's probably uh, easy to score for him with the 10-point must system, but it wasn't like he fucking was, like, piecing him up. Like, if you looked at the uh, total significant strikes, which is a whole nother discussion, believe me, like, that significant versus non-significant, like, what is that even distinction? But um, I, I just remember, like, I was like, oh, wow, Paul Craig, the number of strikes. Interesting. So, like, the control that Shogun had in those in those second and third rounds, like, to me, wasn't, like, that much for it to be like a complete robbery or whatever but um it's still interesting the draw because that that means you would have had to score um round i mean ultimately it was a split draw which means one judge had it for paul craig one judge had it for shogun and the other one had it a draw which is ultimately like you're one one and draw like that's a draw but um to me there should be more draws if we had a better judging system but we don't. So with the 10-point must system, it's hard to like 
defend this uh, scoring, in my opinion, because that would mean you've you had to have given Shogun the last two rounds, probably, and and then a ten eight for Paul Craig in the first round, which is just weird. I will say like some my, one of my my favorite part of this fight. And it happened at least once um, from Paul Craig's angle, and then maybe another one from Shogun's angle. Paul Craig had Shogun up against the fence, right below one of the cameramen. So they cut to that camera, and it was like the closest thing we're ever going to get to like a fucking ref cam or something because they were. It was like right on top of the action, and I was like, "Yes!" Like I was, I was so expecting a like a meme to come out later on from like hectic being like, "Paul Craig didn't have to put Shogun against the fence right under the camera." But he did that. He did that for us. I was, I was, I thought it in my head. I was like, that's going to come out. Um, but dude, um, if we had more of that first round, it would have been a better fight. But m- moving on to the main event, this is, this was my point about, um, saying it wasn't that bad of a card because there were moments like Charles Oliveira, exciting as fuck. The, the Perez Terman fight exciting as fuck and the goddamn Alves fight and the James Cross fight. Like there were plenty of exciting moments throughout this card, but the last two were so bad, or at least like the last two rounds of the co-main and then the, the whole fucking five rounds of the main were so bad that people left such a bad taste in people's mouths to be like, this is the worst card of the year. And I'm sitting there thinking, uh, go back and re I mean, maybe not go back and rewatch cause it was a terrible card, but, um, UFC San Antonio was not good either. Um, we're going to get to that in the forum. But um, nothing really happened in this fight, man. This, this Jan Blachowicz versus Jacare Souza fight, like, to me, I almost would have scored it for Jacare just on the basis of trying more. Like, Jan was just sort of defending and countering. And yeah, he probably, like, landed more shots or something, but... He also wasn't really pushing the action. Like Jacare was at least trying to make it a fight, trying to implement his game plan, and Jan was just like countering Jacare, which, like, I guess you kind of have when when a guy is that dangerous in a certain aspect, and that's what where he's trying to take the fight to. You kind of have to do that, but at a certain point, don't you also have to implement your own game plan, which is to, I, I guess. If your game plan was just to counter and and fucking defend all night, then well done, Jan, but. Calling out John Jones, like, sit down, dude. Sit down. I would I would give a fucking I would give it to Corey Anderson over over Jan Blahovich. Shit. Maybe Corey Anderson and Jan Blahovich need to fight. Cause it's pretty clear Reyes is getting the next shot. And if he doesn't, it's either because of money or like I don't know, maybe Ali, because Ali is Corey's manager. But, like, Reyes should probably be getting the next shot. And then while they're waiting for that, why not have fucking Jan and Corey fight? That, to me, would be, like, a real number one contenders fight. And it's actually like, what's next for Jacare? Like, he, despite people thinking he was going to repeat the, like, path of Weidman and Rockhold, I wasn't saying it was a foregone conclusion he was going to win. But I knew that Jacare wouldn't fall victim to those same like uh, traps or whatever. And he's a big ass middleweight. Like he did not look undersized against Jan. Um, to me, like they were pretty much the same size. So I hope he doesn't go back down to middleweight just because he didn't have success. Like there's plenty of fights for Jacare at, at, at 205. How about Jacare versus Anthony Smith? Like that's that's a fun fight. 
Jacare versus Santos if Santos can heal his goddamn leg so Jacare can rip it off. Dude. In other words, this fight was boring, but the whole card wasn't boring. So let's not let's not grade UFC Sao Paulo based on the main event. Let's let's pump the brakes on it, okay? And those are those are those are my thoughts on UFC Sao Paulo. What do you want from me? It was a it was a mediocre card, but it wasn't as bad as people are saying. I like I feel like I have to defend it, but at the same time, I don't want to sound like a total fucking hipster and being like there's little nuances. By the way, you guys know this. I t- I tweeted out about like M- MMA hipster fans or hipster MMA fans, or whatever. I'm one of them. Sometimes it was a joke. It was a joke. I'm actually gonna end the show with an explanation on that, which I think will be kind of like a fun little um, teaser for next week. But let, let's put UFC Sao Paulo to bed, okay? We're done with that. We've got a lot to cover as far as news and the form is concerned. And then we have a break for a few weeks. This podcast is not taking a break. Let's be very clear about that. But the UFC is taking a break. So that said, I'm going to take a break. And then we'll get back into some some current events. And we're back. Now let's get into some headlines, shall we? Okay. I really only have one. So I should have said some headline. Or a headline. And that is, it has been announced that my girl, Roxanne Modafferi, will be giving the opportunity for Macy Barber to make a name. At UFC 246. Now... The only thing I like about this is UFC 246, uh, which is uh, supposed to take place on January 18th, is that it is the card that is rumored for Conor McGregor to make his return on. I'm still not sold, by the way, that that's happening. It has been a year and a fucking half since that man stepped foot in a cage. Well, a little over a year. And I I just feel like if if it was really going to happen, the fact that he already... Talked about it in his goddamn Russia press conference. It would have already been announced. So I'm not convinced that he's even coming back on that day. But here's the thing. Roxanne versus Macy. I still have 100% complete faith in Roxy for this fight. Don't get it twisted. A lot of people are high on Macy Barber for no reason. She got wobbled by J.J. Aldrich. She damn near got dropped. Go back and watch that fight, okay? Second of all, Macy Barber is annoying. Third of all, she looks like Bad Babby, which if you don't know, is the rapper name, yes, rapper name, of the Cash Me Outside girl. She's a fucking bully, okay? The way she's uh, gone after Paige Van Zandt for no reason is so dumb, and I, I canceled Macy Barber a long time ago. Dude, I canceled her. She's canceled. So the fact that I'm even giving her a platform is insane. But credit to Roxy for accepting whatever fight the UFC brings her. She's a veteran. She does not need to be taking this fight. Macy Barber does not deserve this fight. Roxanne is a top-ranked opponent. Macy Barber should not be in the rankings yet. She's getting this opportunity. It's just it's just baffling to me that the UFC would want to want to make this fight. 
I, I shouldn't say that. The UFC likes to make fights like this, right? A young up-and-comer versus a veteran. They they want to to use the veteran to make an the up-and-comer. It's it's a it's a time-proven formula, right? But it's just it's just so like I I can't even think rationally about this fight because, uh, you know, like I I like Roxanne means so much to me in terms of like being an inspiration for my life and Macy is just like a source of my like constant um, aggravation. And so like if she goes after her in the buildup, I'm going to lose my shit. I might. No, I'm not even going to tell you what I'm going to do because, because then I'll get fucking reported, but I'm going to do something. Okay. And those are my thoughts on that right now. I'll reserve being too negative for now. Because I don't want to, I don't want to put that negativity on the universe. Don't get it twisted. We're still Team Roxy over here. There's no way Macy Barber's winning this fight. And if one of you motherfuckers keeps tagging me in this announcement, you're you're getting muted, okay? And if you do, I'm gonna assume you don't listen to the podcast, so you're getting muted. I'm just I'm I'm just done hearing about it. I don't need to know your thoughts. I don't need to have a back and forth uh, with you about it in which both fighters are tagged. I don't need that. We don't need that here at the Fighting With Myself podcast. We're done with that, okay? But let's move on to some happy news. Now, it's my fault for getting this out a little bit too late. I was supposed to record earlier in the day, and I did not. Because some very positive news that I want to talk about is that there is a second annual... MMA Twitter, Secret Santa going on. And it's going to be my first time even uh, hearing about it to be able to participate in it. So um, the fact that it's happening again and I'm getting an opportunity is awesome. And um, Isha is running it. If you guys don't know, uh, Isha knows MMA. She's awesome. And um, I'm just going to have her uh, tell you a little bit about it. And then we're going to, um, I'll, I'll, I'll explain my bit here. Um, also known as Isha Chanel or Isha Knows MMA on Twitter. Um, I'm definitely the one that is running the Secret Santa MMA second annual. Um, last year we had about 50 people sign up um, from MMA Twitter, which was honestly just a lot of fun. It's exactly, you know, how Secret Santa runs. Um, but you just have the craziness of the people from online. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's really technically no limit um, as far as gifts just as long as you send one. Um, but technically, for the most part, I'm taking signups um, till November 17th. So if you would like to participate, this is your one chance to pretty much slide in my DMs. And uh, yeah, just hit a homegirl up and let me know. Um, it's a lot of fun. And we would like to, I don't know, have you join. And I don't know what else to say. So I'm just going to sign off. La, 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 bye. Yeah. I love it, dude. Dude, this is so awesome because it's it's such it's it's what this podcast is about. It's about building a community uh, of of MMA fans and just spreading positivity, dude. The the holiday season, it, like if you're one of those people that hates when they play Christmas music too early and you like want to be uh, negative about it all the time for no reason, maybe this Secret Santa giveaway is not for you, and that's fine. But if you are, then it's awesome. Um, so. The reason why I say it was it's kind of my fault for um, um, not um, getting this out too early 
is because the deadline is tonight as of when I'm recording this. So uh, November 17th, midnight Pacific time. Um, so it would be like, you know, if you're in California or like on the West Coast of the U.S., um, that time zone. So um, you have until until then. That's uh, at the time of this publishing. That'll be at least six hours, I assume, to, for you to decide. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, there's a little questionnaire to fill out so that you know um, what your Secret Santa wants and that you are going to give, if that makes sense. I haven't done a lot of Secret Santas in my life, so I'm not like a, a super expert on this particular subject. But it's just fun, dude. It's just fun, and it's a great way to to promote uh, like holiday cheer, if that if that's a thing. So um, if you're if you're listening on a Sunday when this when this podcast comes out and it's and it's not yet time and you want to um, participate in this, hit up Isha. That's let me just get the spelling on her handle right. It's E-S-H-A-K-N-O-W-S-M-M-A underscore. So, so yeah. And if you're listening, Isha, um, by the way, this is awesome that she's organizing this. She's getting married, like, I think later this month or something, like, in the UK. And she's uh, in San Francisco at the moment. So, like, the fact that she's organizing this and planning a wedding, which I know is super stressful, like kudos so um if you're listening congratulations on your upcoming wedding and uh this is going to be uh so much fun and that's all i have to talk about really so now we're going to move on to the the best part of this podcast and that's the forum all right even though the fights weren't that great you guys came through with some bomb ass questions so let's get right into those this uh first one is from Jake. Here we go. What's up, Juice? It's Jake from Planet MMA. I'm sick as fuck right now, but I still gotta send in my question for the Fighting With Myself podcast. Um, my question is, what is your take on Tyson Fury uh, coming into MMA? And then furthermore on that, Steve Miocic says that he's not interested in the Daniel Cormier trilogy, and he wants to fight Tyson Fury. Uh, in Fury's MMA debut, I personally think that's a bunch of bullshit, and he's just—he's trying to get revenge on DC for not, for not, for DC not giving him his rematch. I'm a Steve fan, and I'm a DC fan. I just want to see them fight because I want to know who the better fighter is. What's your take? Hashtag FWM. Hashtag Ask FWM. Hashtag Ask FWM Pod. Planet MMA is the best. <laughs> Dude, I love the I love this question. The title says, "Jake is sick, but Brendan's shot was still awful." Yeah, so I love Tyson Fury. Uh, he is a fucking great boxer. Um, he got robbed in the fucking Wilder fight. That that was bullshit. And um, it's one of the only uh, boxing matches that I actually gave a shit about. And um, if you haven't um, watched Tyson Fury. Um, or listen to the audio of it, um, Tyson Fury on the JRE. Do yourself a favor and check that shit out. Uh, you will be a fan. But um, in terms of how I feel about this, like 
You know, Dana did like a little interview with TMZ, which is like his favorite fucking place to do interviews with, which is so dumb, um, saying that he doesn't know why Tyson Fury would uh, entertain like the idea of going into MMA. And he was like, why? Just just, just take a boxing. You're great. No, normally, like when a boxer wants to do it, he like wants to like bury them kind of He's like, yeah, fuck it. Come over. Like when James Tony came came in and they gave him like Randy Couture, the best fucking wrestler of that time. Like, here you go. Here's the fucking hardest matchup we could possibly give you. Like, dude, that said, Stipe versus Fury in either of their disciplines, like the one who's the, this is, I'm having a terrible time describing this. Basically, if Fury comes into MMA, he's going to get smoked. If Stipe goes and boxes Fury, he's going to get smoked. And Stipe is one of the better boxers in the, in the heavyweight division and probably in the UFC in general. But straight boxing, especially with Tyson being fucking 6'9 or whatever the hell he is, is going to light him up. I mean, he's, he's, Stipe is not going to lay a glove on Tyson. But in terms of uh, MMA, I mean, yeah, he could uh, have some, some success and he can maybe land a big one if he just comes out like banging, which Stipe is uh, probably interested in doing because his ego gets in the way sometimes. But he could easily just fucking make it like the Ngannou fight and just lay on him and wear on him and make it a fucking long night for Tyson Fury. He could do that. He could even, even just with a few leg kicks, he could, he could uh, make it a short night. Like, I'm not interested in this one bit. And I think it is gamesmanship. Just like you said, um, just kind of a little bit of revenge or payback or whatever you want to call it for, for DC not giving him the rematch. But, you know, in my opinion, and this is this is not um, just because I'm a big Daniel Cormier fan, uh, because I'm a big fan of Stipe as well, like, like you said, fan of both guys. Like, that whole Brock Lesnar fight was, like, dangled in front of DC's face by the UFC. And they both knew going into it that, that, that the winner was going to get, like, Brock Lesnar um, which is just sort of this whole thing. I think Stipe was really sour about that. Um, somewhat rightly so. I mean, it wasn't like completely out of line, but to say that like DC was like ducking him the whole time is just not true. Um, it was really like the UFC, like kind of wanting to do the Lesnar fight. And then once it was off the table, then DC was like, okay, let's do the Stipe fight. Like that's it, you know? Plus he had a back surgery as well, which kind of delayed things. And, you know, Stipe now has this eye surgery. You know, th- there's a lot of factors here, which to me this this fury fight is nonsense like if, if you want to bring tyson to, into mma do fucking tyson fury versus Derek lewis or 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 versus nganu like that'll be some fun um just kind of slug it out and and see and see what fucking happens but but giving him a title fight against stipe who is like one of the more well, well-rounded heavyweights in, in in a few years and uh just like it can can wrestle and can fucking like why it's a terrible idea. It's terrible. I like the idea that he said, like, oh, we'll do one boxing, one MMA, like, kind of, you know, that, that's what I felt like should have happened in the in the McGregor Mayweather thing. Like, they should have done one MMA and one in boxing. If you're going to fucking do it, like, let's see who, what, what the best discipline is or whatever. See how quickly we can get it done. You know what I mean? In terms of who, who finishes the fight quicker. Like, that would have been interesting to me. But I'm not, like, on a, a level of, like, heavyweights, dude, I'm not interested in seeing Stipe, who's taken already a lot of damage, go into boxing and get battered with 16-ounce gloves for 12 rounds. No thank you. What's up, Juice? It's Jake from Planet MMA here. But from now on, I will be known as 
Jake the historian for Planet MMA, because I did some research, because uh, you asked what was the first uh, event with a five-round main event that wasn't a title fight, and it was Ortiz versus Evans at UFC 133, I believe it was. Um, oh my god, I'm so sick. Uh, that fight didn't go five rounds, it went two, but it was scheduled for five rounds. It was the first UFC event uh, where, in the main event, it was a title fight and it was scheduled for five rounds. I am the best at MMA history, so happy UFC day, November the 12th. And uh, have a good one, Juice. Plan MMA is the best. Jake the historian, more like Jake the master of Google. Uh, just kidding. Thank you so much for for researching that. I literally was like, I could look this up, but I'm just going to talk about it on the podcast as if like someone should look it up. And then he came through, came through earlier in the week on, as he said, UFC Day, November twelfth. That's uh, that's literally the day he sent it in. So, um, awesome bit of questions there, Jake. Even though that wasn't really a question, but it was an awesome submission. And thank you. Hope you're feeling better. Which is, I mean, if you if you've been this sick for five days, go to a fucking hospital, yeah. Hey, Aaron, it's Jimmy. I was just sitting around wondering if you'd rather watch the replay of Jan and Jacare 30 times in a row or wear mom jeans for a month straight. Let me know. This is such a weird would you rather, but I love questions like this, like that are just kind of random. Love it. Keep it up. Like, okay. Regarding this Jan and Jacare fight, I forgot to tell you this in my recap. Here's how bad it was. I heard I heard everyone talking about it, and I was like, you know, what? I'm gonna go with an open mind. I'm gonna just see what what happens. You know, sometimes certain like subtle like grappling transitions are like fun for me to watch, and like I'm a fan of Jacare, so this could be fun for me. Let, let's see. And it was not, dude. This was a fucking stinker of all stinkers. This was like the light heavyweight. Nganu Lewis, not really, but over five rounds, like certainly like as bad, right? Because we got like more of it. And during the fifth round, I had to go to the bathroom and I walked away and I didn't pause it. Like that's how bad it was to me. Like that's a, a clear indication. Like if you're watching it live, like you're probably not going to pause it because then you, you might get stuck or whatever in the stream. Whatever. But like I had the ability because I was watching a replay that I, it was very easy for me to pause it. And I didn't because I knew the result. I knew that it was just going to be a fucking boring ass like fight. And I was like, why do I need to, to watch this? So I walked out. I walked out. So to get to your question, would I rather watch that fucking horrible fight 30 times in a row? Or would I rather wear mom jeans for 30 days? Probably mom jeans for 30 days, although my job requires me to dress like, let's call it business casual. Um, So I don't know if that would be like 30 off days in a row or just like hypothetically speaking... Like if I had 30 days that I was able to wear mom jeans, I probably would still do that. Although if it was like 30 off days, like that would, that would fucking, that would take a long ass time. Cause there's two off days in a week, four weeks in a fucking month on average. So, so eight days off. Yeah. It would take a while. It would take a fucking while. So, 
But then when you think you think about watching like 25 minutes or 30 minutes, including the breaks in between rounds for fucking 30 times in a row, that's 900 minutes of fights. No, thank you. No, thank you. I'll take the mom jeans. Hey there, Juice. Fighting with myself. It's Smokey J here from fucking Australia. I can't believe we have to wait pretty much a whole nother month for another UFC card. That's fucking crazy. That's a long time in UFC years. I guess my main question is, what do you think of the BKFC actually signing that fucking synthropol-infused cunt for the fucking Iranian Hulk? That's some crazy bullshit, man. I'm going to watch it anyway. Bye. Dude. First of all, I love that he took for fucking ever to get to the question. That was awesome. I miss him plugging the bad drawings, so I'm going to do it for him. Hashtag bad drawings. As you guys should uh, check out Smokey J's page. It's It's awesome. My one of my favorite posts that he's made was a fucking Greg Hardy meme. Like you know those memes that has a blurry picture and then a picture of someone like cleaning their glasses and then it's like something else. Like there's been some funny ones of like Artem being the goat and it's like it's a goat and then it's it's Artem. Funny shit. He did one of uh blurry Greg Hardy and then it was like a dumpster. I was like, Yes. That's that fucking energy I want. Dude, the BKFC thing. Oh my god. First of all, where the fuck are they going to have that fight? Because my man is like 400 pounds, isn't he? The fucking Iranian Hulk? Second of all, <laughs> that fucking guy, dude? Like, I just I just can't. I, I, I literally, like, don't even know what, why. Like, kudos for being that fucking jacked and, like, wanting to just only focus on being, like, the most ripped and like bulked up as you can but don't pursue combat sports you're gonna gas like can you imagine him fighting someone like fucking tony lopez or joey beltran who's been in the game a long time or even goddamn chase sherman i'm just listening off the kind of heavyweights they have in bkfc and just them like ripping the body he will be fucking toast after two rounds you just got to avoid those big bombs and he's going to swing from fucking like all the way in Australia to, to use a fucking pun and like just duck under him and, and rip to the body. Like why you're already a sideshow. Like why do you sign a guy who literally is like a strong man from a circus? People call you a circus and you're going to sign a strong man from a circus. Like I don't I don't understand their fucking like what are they playing at here? Are they just leaning into it? Are they saying, Well, fuck it. People don't take us seriously anyway. I, I seriously don't know, but hey. What the fuck? Alright, this is something cool um from Joe Blogs. Uh we've done this a couple times. Ollie Ra, 
hit me up with an Aussie words quiz. And last week, I think it was last week, Harry Andrews had a fucking Welsh word thing that was awesome. So Joe Block sent in some some Northern English phrases. I don't know fucking any of them. So uh, I can't wait to, to fail miserably. Let's go. All right, Juice. It's me from over the sea. It's your boy, Joe Block, 74. Now, I've missed fight night because of uh, work. I'm going to watch it later because I've heard it's that good. So I thought I'd just give you five words or phrases from my part of the world. See if you can guess what they are. Number one, BARM. That's B-A-R-M. BARM. What? I have absolutely no idea. I'm going to guess BARM is like a fucking... I bet it's a word for like like flirting or something. Like, oh, we'll just... That's just some barm. I don't know. It's probably terrible. Like banter. Like some sort of witty banter between members of the opposite sex. I have no idea. Number two. Barney. B-A-R-N-E-Y. Barney. I bet Barney is like bullshit. Like, that's fucking Barney, mate. That's what I bet that is. That's the only one I, I feel even like remotely confident of this list. Otherwise, I, I listened earlier. Number three, put Woodenthal. Put Woodenthal? I have no idea what that means, dude. Put Woodenthal? Put Woodenthal. Put Woodenthal. Is that like... This better not be like fucking Cockney rhyming slang. Just going up the apples and pears, love. Put Woodenthal. I wonder if that means like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Like... Not literally, but like the expression of that, like trying to trying to fit something where it doesn't go, or, or like putting in your two cents into someone's conversation, like butting in, put Woodenthal. I don't know. I'm fucking lost. Number four, skenning. That's S K E N N I N. That's actually the only one I've ever heard of of this list, but I still I can't fucking remember what it means. I've heard I've heard that though. Skinning, skinning. I wonder if that's like a dance. I'm grasping at straws here. That that's not even close. It's it, it's a dance. That's what I'm gonna say. It's a dance. Eh. Number five, cracking flags. Cracking flanks, dude. What? Cracking flanks. Does that mean making jokes? Or like, like when you're like roasting someone, like cracking flanks, like cracking wise. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Cracking jokes. All right, this is the one I haven't listened to. This is the answers. Let's see how fucking wrong I am. All right, mate. So barm is a bread roll. <laughs> oh, no. so wrong, dude. So wrong. 
which is what I with Chip Butty last night. Number two, a Barney is a heated argument. Barney's a heated argument, and I said it was bullshit? I'm counting that as a half a point, just because that's probably going to be my only fucking point here. A Barney. Now that I, that's not familiar, actually. Huh. Number three, but wouldn't thaw. All that means is close the door. Really? Just say close the door. I mean, what? Four, scanning. That just means what you're looking at, what you're scanning at. And I said it was a dance. I'm an idiot. I'm a fucking Yankee. Fuck. Five. Cracking flags. That just means it's hot weather outside. Ladies, dude. <laughs> Hit it with a dude at the end. I love everything about that. Dude, that was awesome. Hope you had a good chip butty with a barm. Man, that was awesome. All right, this next question, dude. This is from Hayden underscore MMA. Here we go. Yeah, right, Juice. It's another another regular the the final myself podcast here. Hayden MMA two on Twitter. There's an underscore between Hayden MMA and two, by the way, just in case. Just in case you don't know who I am, you should. But anyway, right? There's something. Something on my mind, mate. It's been grinding my fucking gears. It's been winding me up. All right. So let's say you're a you're a you're a grown man. You have a job. Let's say let's just say something stupid. You work at Tesco, innit? Let's just say something stupid like that. You work at fucking Tesco. You give pe you fucking scam people's bread for a living. You know what I mean? But then you get home and you think, oh, what's on TV? I'll slap on a bit of WWE. Who the fuck? What, right, Juice, the question is, why the fuck do grown men watch WWE? That's my that's my question. Thank you, brother. Hayden, I love you. You're a great addition to this podcast. But you're fucking wrong. Imagine being a grown man and caring what other grown men watch on TV. There's absolutely nothing wrong with watching WWE, dude, at any age. Fucking, fucking like what you like, man. I'll tell you what. Go to, go to Ashley the MMA Nerds page, and you'll see a reason to watch WWE. Fucking have her convince you. She's the one that's like watching WWE all the time in the MMA community, and goddamn combative views and smart Dan, the MMA philosopher. I watched fucking NXT, which is a WWE product, and I'll tell you why. Matt fucking Riddle and Keith fucking Lee. And Moro fucking Ronaldo. It's bad form, mate. It's bad form. People can like what they like. Thank you for the question. Yo, Juice. <clears throat> so, uh, thinking of some questions to ask some, some podcasts I haven't interacted with yet. Because they keep tagging me. So I'm going to ask them my uh, mandatory first podcast question that has to deal with Caro Parisian because 
Who the fuck talks about Caro Parisian but me? Um, which leads me to my question for you. What's your favorite Caro Parisian fight? Thank you. I don't know if this is meant for me or other MMA podcasts that listen to this podcast. No idea, but I'm going to answer it, of course. I assume it is for me also, but I, I, I don't know if he's also going to send to other podcasts. No idea. So um, look out for his question, I guess, to appear on other podcasts. But my, I have two favorite Carl Parisian fights. Nick Diaz, which was a great fight, his fight with Nick Diaz, and then his fight in the hallways of the Tough Gym with Nate Diaz on The Ultimate Fighter Season 5. Fucking hell. I've got a few more here. Fuck yeah. Yo, Juice. What's going on, mate? Ollie Ra here. It's fucking, just kicking it on me fucking day off, enjoying life, and um, I just wanted to see what the favorite, your favorite way of getting high is. For me, you know, nothing, nothing beats a good fucking bong rip. Yeah. So, what's your, what's your favorite way to get high? I love that him and Smokey J are both from Australia, and they both just started their questions with a fucking bong rip, even though Smokey J did like three of them. I just imagine Smokey J listening to this being like, fuck you, Oli Ra, you're taking everything I work for. Just kidding. Um, man, so my current favorite way is just, I have a little like the vape pen, which is not really like vape. It's like with, you know, and then like you have a, like an oil cartridge filled with like THC oil because just because you can fucking do it anywhere and it's, just, it's so quick and it doesn't fucking like as much as I love like smoking and getting high, like if you smoke in your house, it's, it's the fucking worst, like for the like smell and getting like ash everywhere or whatever. So like there's a lot of pros and cons with that. So like, like maybe that's the most like clean way. Um and and it's too fucking cold in New Jersey to like be going outside or like having a fucking whole room dedicated to things, right? Um, but I will say like when I first um, like started like dating my wife when we were first dating in college, um, one of her roommates or like her friends was um, like had a bong that we would just we would like hang out and like do like bong rips in between classes and stuff, and it was the fucking best. So, yeah, I love a good bong rip, but it's been a while since I've actually done one because I don't own one. And, um, yeah, the whole cleaning aspect of it is um, too much for me. Man, that was a great question. Basically, anything but edibles, dude. Fuck edibles. Like, and I know there's some people that listen to this podcast that, like, prefer edibles like Mac, I mean, Mac doesn't really listen to the podcast. He's listened to like once, but like Mac Malley loves edibles. He's like, yeah, this is like THC infused, whatever. I'm, I'm fucking living it up. And then like, um, I say dude a lot, um, prefers edibles. I just don't have the fucking constitution for it. Like I have a little corner of a fucking brownie or something and I'm in outer space and then like puking immediately. It's the worst. 
I've told a couple stories about it on the podcast, by the way, before of like bad experiences with edibles. But one of the best experiences, like the only good experiences I had with edibles was when I was fucking, I saw a movie when I had eaten like an entire brownie and I was in the theater when it hit and I was just like, oh, but that's a great question, dude. Um, Spoiler alert, in the off weeks when the UFC doesn't have a car, which is coming up. We're going to try some random shit. And one of those things is probably I'm going to do an entire episode whilst high off of my goddamn mind. You guys are just going to have to figure out which one that is. All right. We've got um, a couple more here. Yo, Juice. Fighting with myself podcast. How you doing, mate? Uh, it's just Oli Ra here. So I was just thinking about Trevor Whitman and how he does those breakdowns between rounds or just after the round. And um, I think that was a great addition. I think it came in with the uh, ESPN era. But yeah, I thought that was great. Uh, he gives really good insight, great details on what's going on, what needs to be changed, all that, whatever, whatever. But um, yeah, so my question is, do you think we should have more of that? Because obviously Trevor Whitman, he can't do it every week. You know, he's got coaching duty. He's got all other shit he would have to do in life. But um. So yeah, do you think they should hire a couple more people? Maybe let's say two, two more guys to, so we can get that every week. And uh, so if so, who would you hire if it was up to you? Cheers, mate. Yeah, dude. I've, I think I talked about this before. I haven't gone as in depth as this, like on an actual question. So it's, this is a great submission, actually. But um, I'm, I love it. I'm all for it. And um, they should hire. I mean, Trevor Whitman is great at it, and I love his insight. Although sometimes. It feels like, I mean, it has to be organic and like obviously they can't really plan it, right? Because he's kind of reacting to what happens in the corner. So they can't really set anything up. But sometimes they'll ask him, like, what did you think about what the corner said? And then Trevor will be like, well, actually, I wanted to see what you think, Mike, regarding this. And he'll like put it back on them. Like, well, that's weird that you kind of bounced it back. But um, otherwise, I love it. Uh, dude, he's great. And uh, th- there's a couple other coaches that I think would be interesting, but a lot of them also have coaching duty so it would be like really hard to do um so i'll throw out a couple i think um if if they were to do like a card in new zealand um or australia they could do obviously like more right um eugene bearman izzy's coach uh head of city kickboxing there i think he'd have some great insight and um listen to his interview with um ariel hawani um, like the week or so after Izzy won the belt, and it was just phenomenal. I just like hearing him speak. He's like a really well-spoken guy. So I love that. I also think like Mark Henry would make an interesting voice um, for a lot of the different aspects of like cornering and things like that. Um, but um, he's another guy. He like he has the friggin' pizza restaurant, and he trains those guys as well. And he's got a family. Like Mark Henry's plate is full. So I don't think that's practical. Um, another one I thought of was Javier Mendez. But again, he's pretty he's pretty full with the like the whole stable of AKA and like all the goddamn Dagestanis that come and train there. But one that I think would be interesting, like so far I've just mentioned striking coaches, right? And that's what Trevor Whitman is as well. Henner Gracie. Henner Gracie can talk a fucking He can talk your ear off. And so they might need to rein him in a little bit. But Henner and Heron doing break that like Gracie breakdowns are like so they're invaluable dude that they're they're so cool and so insightful 
on the different aspects of jiu-jitsu and and the way they like the energy they bring to it is so fresh so i feel like if it was a grappling heavy fight or if there was like something where one one fighter has maybe an advantage in grappling but can't um that hasn't implemented it yet henner could come in and talk about how they could implement it or if there was a scramble that happened you know in the previous round or whatever he could kind of give his insight of what he thinks like they could have done to do better because my favorite parts of the gracie breakdown like if you guys haven't seen it, if if like a, a major submission happens in the UFC or even like um, another major promotion, they'll do a breakdown of the moments leading up to it and, and how they got the finish and what exactly led to that. But then they'll 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 also do like a few different scenarios, like well this could have happened or this is what now can happen now that we see that. Like one of my favorite ones of theirs, I've talked about this before. They did a breakdown of a submission in RFA. This is before they merged with Legacy to become LFA. Um, Thiago Moises, who I think now fights in the UFC, um, got a, a helicopter armbar to like win a title over there, and it was awesome. He like did a basically a helicopter sweep of the guy and finished with an armbar, which is so cool. But then they talk about how that's so rare to have in an MMA because it's dangerous. But then they also talked about what else you can do in that position. And it's so fucking interesting. Like they talk about like setting up a helicopter triangle and like different ways you can do with helicopter sweeps. And I remember thinking like, dude, a fucking helicopter rear naked choke would be awesome. If you elevate the the hips of your opponent and then use that to, to flip them around and lock the body triangle, they'll just fall right into the rear naked choke. And it would be amazing. Like that's the kind of shit you actually do and like watch, get high and then watch those videos. So something like that would be cool. Or um, even um, like, no, fuck him. I was going to say Ben Askren after he retires. Like he could talk about the, the certain like wrestling um, transitions, but fuck him. Um, all right. This is a great question from the Sweet Potato. Hey there, Juice. It's the Raging Sweet Potato. All the way from the Northern Wilds again today. I got a question for you, if you don't mind me asking. Last night at UFC Sao Paulo, we saw Charles Dubronx Oliveira finish Jared Gordon a minute and 26 into the first round with some seriously slick hands. Oliveira entered the UFC with an undefeated 12-0 record in 2010, going 10-8-1 up until December two years ago. Since then, he's gone on a six-fight win streak, looking better and better with each outing. Now, we all know that Oliveira is the best submission artist in the UFC today. That's how you get the most submission wins. But his hands are what got him his last two wins, in an emphatic fashion at that. It seems like Bronx is starting to turn the corner and may become a real threat in the lightweight division. So my question is this. How far do you think he can go, and what is his ceiling? How do you think he fares against Khabib? Does he pose some or any of the same threats as Tony Ferguson? Oh, gotta run. There's a baby seal I need to go club. <laughs> For some reason, that ending reminded me of a Stephen Lynch song. If you guys have never heard the song, you should go and listen to it. It's called, I think it's called Beals, B-E-E-L-Z. It's like, he does a song about being Satan, but like, what if Satan was like a little effeminate? It's so fucking funny. He's like, I'll have to watch Fox News and then go club some baby seals. That's what reminded me of it. First of all, you said Oliver was the best submission artist in the UFC. And you know what's coming. Is he though? No, I mean, I think it's between him and Damian Maya. I gave my reasons why I think Damian Maya is a little better, but um, it's a one of those barbershop kind of arguments. Like, you could go either way. Um, dude, 
we got to give credit where credit is due. I love um, Oliveira and how he's he's looked lately. Um, he seems to be like just putting everything together. And initially, like when he knocked out Nick Lentz, like clean. First of all, I was a very happy juice because Nick Lentz is one of my least favorite fighters, probably ever. Right. And but they've also fought three times. So he just like has his number. So whilst I was like not wanting to like take away from anything he did, I was like, well, they've had a lot of rounds for him to like get his timing. Right. So that was kind of pretty like it wasn't that shocking. But it's still well, when a Jiu-Jitsu guy gets a knockout, it's still shocking. Like when Leonardo Santos knocked out Stevie Ray, and I think he also knocked out Kevin Lee. Like that's that's really really interesting to me. Um, but this one was 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 legit. Um, I mentioned the head clash, but again, I don't think that actually had a big impact. I think it was more so the initial shot. So um, all credit where credit is due in terms of um, Oliveira. But as far as his ceiling, like I think if they were to throw him in there with Khabib right now. Okay, even or even in a, in a fight or two, um, his hubris might be his downfall. Not that he, um, I think, is like a cocky fighter or anything. But what I'm saying is, he might believe in his jujitsu so much and the threat of it that Habib is very good at neutralizing the threat of a submission. So I, I I really think Khabib would just ride him and until he like pounded him out. Khabib might even get a fucking submission of his own. Like that that wouldn't surprise me honestly if they fought. Um, like anytime fucking Khabib fights and Brian and there's like a close submission, Brian Ortega tweets out like I would have finished that if I was in that position. First of all, sit down, Brian Ortega. Second of all, I feel like if Charles Oliveira could tweet, he would also say that. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about that. But in terms of his ceiling, like. The guy's a contender now. Like he, he should be finding top guys. There should be no more like unranked opponents for him. Uh, I don't know why he like destroyed his body to get to featherweight in the first place. Like he's a big fifty fiver, um, so like he should be fighting more fifty fivers. A lot of people are calling for the Paul Felder rematch. That does nothing for Paul Felder, and um, I think it's just a little bit weird. So I'd like to see him fight. Um, someone else. I, I threw out the idea on Twitter of like him fighting Ally Aquinta. That would be a fun fight. I, I even think like Kevin Lee or Islam Makachev might be a fun fight, but they, they need to fight each other. Like that's already been said. So so there's that. Oh, and I've got one more from Ali Ra. Yo, what up, Juice? Ali Ra here. Start working. Day after the fights, it was, uh, my mate's birthday yesterday, so we got pretty fucking on it. Um, watched the watched the fights, and uh, can't really remember shit to be honest. So I don't have a question about the fight. But um, I just wanted to know what three prospects you think could challenge for the title in the future. Who's Juice keeping an eye on? So uh, I'm loving Surreal Gan. I think we all are. You know, we all know about him. Uh, Jack Shaw, young Welsh fighter, and uh, Chito Vera. He's on like a five-fight win streak, winning all by stoppage. And, um, he's just looking fucking phenomenal. Deadly fighter. Uh, very promising prospect. So, yeah, who are three prospects you're keeping an eye on that may challenge for the title in the future? Cheers, matey. Love this question. Um, it's funny. I was thinking about this. <laughs> when he sent it in 
if you had asked this question like two weeks ago or, or whenever, like right before UFC 244, uh, so maybe three weeks ago, because it would have been the show before that, I fucking, I would have said Gregor Gillespie <laughs> would have been one of them, and Johnny Walker, for sure, would have been on that list, and they both lost in terrible fashion in the first round. So so that's funny. But um, and, and I second what you said about um, Cyril Gann and, and, and Jack Shore, although I think he's only had one fight in the UFC. Um, he definitely could uh, could put on some some great fights in the Bantamweight division. Um, other than that, uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, one of them, Marco Madsen, the guy that the Danish um, Olympic silver medalist in wrestling who uh, made his debut in Copenhagen. I believe that was the coming event. Um, that's one that um, could be interesting. If they give him the right matchups and he uh, improves his striking, not that it hasn't, you know, needs tons of work, but he's he's obviously a, a wrestler by trade, so he's not going to have really crisp striking. Like he he legit can be a threat for the title, like in a couple of years. So that's one. And um, fuck, I just had it. Um, Edmund Shabazian is one. That guy, uh, that guy's gonna make make waves. And um, fucking oh, Viviani Arujo, she's great. So that so yeah, great question. But you you took some of the good ones too. Cyril Gann, like for sure. Um, is is awesome like a heavyweight kickboxer that can also submit you and looks like a fucking action figure hello love it all right that that concludes the voice questions but let me get some there's some fun um dm questions before we jump into twitter this was sent to me earlier in the week from the raging sweep tato who you heard from earlier and he said so i've been thinking yeah i know just a funny way to start it. He said, I've come to the conclusion that fouls fall into one of two categories. One, they are detrimental to the fouled fighter, which is why they are illegal and should result in a penalty slash point deduction as the foul change as the foul changes the course of the fight. Or two, they are not detrimental, do not alter the course of the fight more than any other current legal offensive move and, and should therefore be legal. Commissions need to decide which it is and reverse it. Please discuss. Dude. I, ca- I cannot agree with this more. Like when it comes to fouling and like the rules and policies, like, like sweet potato and I are 100% like simpatico on this. Now the problem is the UFC and, and it, well, let's back it up to when, when Dana White and uh, the Fertitta brothers took over um, the UFC from the original owners they were so intent on making it a sport and making it, you know, known as MMA rather than just the UFC. Obviously, they wanted to brand the UFC as being the original one, and, and they've done very well uh, at that. But in terms of uh, the way they've gone about things, they've wanted to make it a sport. And how often do you th- do you see rule changes in sport? You really don't. The problem is that MMA is so new that it needs that. It, like, it's still developing. You know, so it really it really needs to be more adaptive in that sense. And it, and it just isn't like we're not at a perfect level yet. I think I think they need to realize that, you know, I'm not I'm not a sports historian. So I couldn't tell you like, oh, well, in the first 
25 years of of uh, basketball, they changed rules a lot. You used to have, like leather helmets, of course, like for for football um, back in the day. But um, like that, that's the era we're in. We're in the leather helmet era of of MMA. So they definitely need to make changes. Commissions do need to to realize this um, distinction between them of like what's fight altering and what's not, and what's sort of detrimental to the fouled fighter. Like that's a big deal. That's a big part of it. And, and, you know, commissions really aren't in, in, interested in admitting they're wrong. You know, like I said, commissions are like government bodies. So, um, they just, they just aren't, um, which is sad really. So, um, I don't foresee that happening in the future, but it's, it's a great question and a good talking point because we definitely need to be doing this. And then this next question is from Scotland underscore MMA. It says, Juice, I'm getting my question in early as I am really interested in your take. Is Gaethje a more dangerous fight for Khabib than the great welterweight GOAT GSP? I know Justin's no GSP, but his specific skill set of dynamite punching and wrestling ability seems more dangerous than GSP in my opinion. I lost it at the end there. Jamie's fucking screaming his head off, being like, oh, that was shite. Whatever. Um, you bring up a very good point. Now, I still think, in terms of path to victory, like, I give George St. Pierre a better chance of beating Khabib than I do Justin Gaethje, but I think the Gaethje fight is a fun fight, and I I see exactly what you're saying. Like, Justin Gaethje is not going to give a fuck. He's going to go out there. He's going to make it a dirty fight, like an ugly fight. And that sort of pressure might be just the thing Khabib wants to, like, capitalize on a mistake and take you down. But Gaethje said something, you know, a while ago that made it very interesting to me. Like, even though he doesn't use his wrestling, like, people always say that, like, oh, he's got elite wrestling. Like, he doesn't, he's not fucking use it. But I would bet that it would be a bitch for Khabib to take him down. And it might, like, wear him out, like... Gaethje's been wrestling since he was five as well. He's like, you know, what are you going to do? Try to make a wrestling match? Uh, I've been in like hundreds of those is what he said or something like that. And I was like, damn. So I think like him not necessarily implementing that kind of a game plan, but just him having that skill in his back pocket, you know, with the fucking nasty ass leg kicks that he throws and those like wild punches um, just throwing him at, at Khabib's way. I'm so interested in that fight. Um, so it would be amazing to see. Um, I take I take GSP, if we're talking about Khabib versus GSP, which I think should not happen, by the way. I've talked about this in the podcast many times. But if they decide to make it, I, I take GSP all day. Um, and then in terms of Khabib versus Gaethje, I think I would probably take Khabib. But um, it, it's a very interesting fight for sure. Uh, we could see something wild happen. It's just crazy. All right, this next question is from Jim Asun's burner account. I guess his his main account got suspended. Um, dude, first of all, I'm going to have to start making a list of y'all's burner accounts. Obviously, I figured out a while ago that this was the real Jim, and I followed him before this happened. So I was ready. Like, whenever he messaged me from, from this new account, I was like, oh, it's it's Jim. He just got fucked. Like, but, but I was thinking about this when he sent it. I was like, dude. I'm going to have to start making a list of the fucking burner accounts to make sure I didn't accidentally follow a fucking, like, fake account or something. But uh, he says, what's next for Ross Pearson? Seeing his nasty KO, I'm wondering if he should hang up the gloves. Bro? (sighs) Absolutely. Like, if you guys didn't see, 
Kaposa tweeted this out. Um, shout out to Kaposa. He's a credit to the community, even though he probably doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, Ross Pearson apparently was fighting um, somebody in a, in a like a smaller promotion, and he got KO'd with a rolling thunder kick, which is when you fucking roll like do like a forward like roll onto the ground, and as you're finishing that, the fucking your back leg does like basically like an axe kick from the bottom or something and like KOs the guy or like, well, you go for a KO obviously. And he got flatlined. Like that was one of the nastiest KOs I've seen in, um, in, in, in the year. It's like definitely up there in terms of like just the pure violence aspect of it. Right. Um, I thought Ross Pearson already hung up the gloves. I'm pretty sure I talked about it on this podcast. Like he talked about retiring from MMA and then he would go on to like, boxing or bare knuckle boxing or whatever like he was going to do other things he just wasn't going to fight in mma and this was an mma fight dude what the fuck ross pearson it it just it makes me like when legends like that that have given us so many of their brain cells and given us so much of their like health over the years and gotten paid peanuts they really need to get some sort of pension set up for these fighters man it's it's just it's just sad, and I don't know if money was the motivation taking this fight. I can only assume that, but even still, even still. All right, this next question is from Phil, the MMA dude, co-host of the Split Decision podcast. You already know. Um, if you're not listening to that podcast, you definitely should. Uh, they do great work over there, and he says. Three weeks off from the UFC. I'm sad, but part of me feels like I need it. Juicy Juice, how do you plan on spending the hiatus? Love this question. Um, I plan on fucking spending time with my family, first of all. <laughs> like my wife and her family in general. Um, actually, next week I'm, I'm shooting a short film. So that's going to take up a lot of my time. Which kind of like worked out perfectly. Like the guy asked me when I was free. And I made sure to like pick the fucking off weeks. And then the week after that is actually my wife's birthday. It's like the weekend of Thanksgiving. So that's obviously going to be like a family weekend. And then after that, we return. So um, I'm having, I'm going to have some uh, some other kind of fun episodes planned. In the meantime, I'll get to that at the end of the show. We'll kind of preview that. Might have a guest on. Who knows? Might just, might just fuck around and have a guest on. How do you feel about that? But uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Phil. That was a great question. Cause yeah, we need a dude. I was I was talking about this with with I've talked about this on the podcast before. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Like the UFC, instead of trying to have a card every weekend and doing like multiple cards, they should think about like maybe a card every other week and just having them more stacked, less watered down cards, more fucking action packed like fights, like like two forty four was. Like I don't know. That's just me. All right, now let's get into some Twitter questions. This first one comes from Dad Bro. It's at Looking at MMA. He says, first, the point taken from the illegal upkick. I say it's good because a rule was broken and the fighter must be held accountable, even if it didn't affect Lipsky. All right, so that um, there's there's kind of some explaining needs to happen here. He's talking about the uh, fight between Ariane Lipsky and I think it was DePaulo was her was her opponent's name. Um, Lipsky was on top. And um, her opponent threw uh, an upkick from the bottom, which when they're both grounded is illegal. 
And so even though it was glancing and it didn't affect her, even Lipsky like landed some like follow up shots after that. The ref stepped in right away, pulled him apart, immediately like um, gave Lipsky some time, whatever, and then told the other fighter like I'm taking a point you know you that's it and then we made a whole show of it which they have to do to like let each judge know taking a point which I was such a fan of dude like it's just like you said the fighter must be held accountable like rules like we have rules for a reason so the fact that that um, process took place like it has to happen every time just like that it doesn't matter and he reset him in the same fucking position with Lipsky having the dominant position on top like of course dude like that's exactly it that's exactly it so yeah I was definitely a fan of that you know your warning is in the back so yeah and then he says secondly in the case of Ahoyo faking super hard when the replay is shown and the ref realizes she was played for a fool then what Fight is over, but what if the liar got the win? Shouldn't they do the replay even if it wasn't a fight-ending sequence? All right, here's the thing. There's a couple things in play here. So the replay, when it comes to replay, uh, commissions have jurisdiction over that. So like, not every commission has replay, and then the ones that do, they don't all have to implement it the same. So there's different, like, it's all kind of fugazi, which is why there should be a national commission. That's the story for another day. Now, in terms of this situation, what you're referring to about when we figured out she was played a fool, I I believe that was just shown on the broadcast. I don't think she was shown that. I don't think she had access to that. What they showed was basically the it was an illegal knee that was thrown, but it kind of connected only with the thigh. And then when they actually slowed it down, they showed that it technically was legal because... Um, I think the the rule that constitutes a down fighter now, uh, you know, again, it's all fucking fugazi. They keep changing the rules and that everyone adopts the new rules. But I think that they said that um, a fighter that's any part that's not your feet is connected with the with the canvas. Like any part other than your feet is, is connected to the canvas. That's considered down fighter. His, he was on the way down, but at the exact moment when the strike connected, um, he wasn't the knees weren't down it was just his feet so they said technically at that point he was a down fighter now in terms of ahoyo faking it he was just selling it like correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think that he um god damn it i don't think that he was like calling but like you know signaling the ref like hey this is a fucking illegal strike like whatever i think just the ref noticed it and he was just sort of playing it up kind of selling it just so that he could um take advantage of the time to recover which again is a little shitty but not illegal so it's just sort of one of those things where he was taking advantage of the situation now i just have to say this is the third time i've recorded this <laughs> so i apologize if 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 this is all fucking like rushed or convoluted. And I also apologize if it ends up on the fucking recording three times. Um, cause that's should not happen. But, um, in terms of the, the way the situation happened, I think it was fine. Although I've said before, and this, this is another case, I think for, for my theory, I think there should be two refs. You should have one in the cage and then one on the side of the cage watching from a monitor and they have a an, the ref in the cage has an earpiece with that ref, just a two way communication, not with anyone else, just those two, so that a ref 
can see a certain angle that their in cage ref can't. And so in that case, when the broadcast is showing the replay and they're able to look at a look at it, they can say, "Hey, actually." Uh, the guy's full of shit. Um, reset him. That was a perfectly legal strike. Something like that. So I don't fault the ref. I don't fault Ahoyo, although he certainly took advantage of the situation. Um, it just kind of is what it is. You know, it's a quote of phrase. Next question is from Derek Lewis's Hot Balls at Pixie Dust 26. She says, Was the event really bad or did we all empty our load over 244? I think the two week UFC break will do us a world of good to recharge our fight hype. Yes, dude, I so, I so agree with this um, in terms of the second part of that, which is that the the break will do us good. I, I hate whenever the UFC like makes a post on Instagram, like when there's back to back to back to back to back to back fight weeks, basically. As, as soon as a fight ends, they're posting like, you know, post fight like thoughts and po- like little clips of scrums or whatever. And then like on the fucking Sunday or Monday after a fight, it's like the first post is fight week. Like as if we didn't just fucking have one, dude, like that gets repetitive and, and, and it's just terrible. So, you know, I think absence makes the heart grow fonder, like I said before, and um, it's going to be awesome when, when we're finally at fight week for UFC DC. Can't wait for that card. Uh, next question is from trans LFC. He says, what's next for Lipsky? I think personally, um, page a fight with Paige Van Zandt would make sense. Paige is looking for a fight. Lipsky finally got back on track. Um, I think we all were kind of disappointed with her original like UFC run, and we kind of wrote her off a little bit. I know I did. So I was happy for her to get back in the win column. This is awesome. And yeah, I think either Paige or maybe a fight with Cortez. Be interesting. And then Raging Sweet Potato says, um, on a scale of old soggy pizza to throbbing painful blue balls, how much of a disappointment do you rate uh, UFC Sao Paulo? I'd personally rate it an unenthusiastic handjob in the back hallway. It got the job done, but really wasn't very satisfying and left everyone feeling kind of dirty. First of all, hilarious. Second of all, the scale is a little interesting because you have a, a shitty thing and then a really shitty thing. So like, how do I feel about it in terms of on a scale of shitty to really shitty, well, it's just funny. Like to me, when you say old soggy pizza, I might like I would rate it on a pizza scale. I would rate it like room temperature pizza that like you ordered pizza and maybe you forgot about it, or maybe the the fucking delivery driver forgot to use one of those insulated bags and it, and took a long time getting it to you and it's like kind of room temperature where it's like not cold but not hot and you're like oh well that that's that's pre- it's still pretty good like that's what it was dude great question and he said also it's really weird that i didn't hate brendan fitzgerald on the mic tonight it was like bisping made him his little buddy and took him under his wing so i was forced to like him you're a bisping man what did you think of fitz's commentary tonight dude it's interesting like I think, see, I, I've been like a sort of a defender of Fitzgerald for a while. Like he was brought in at the time when they brought in a bunch of other like things when they started having more cards and Rogan wanted to do less. And, um, you know, certain things, they, they moved John Anik from doing fight nights to pay-per-views. So they needed other people for the fight nights. And obviously they, they let go of Jimmy Smith, which was a fucking mistake. Um, but Fitzgerald came in 
with a guy named, or like sort of a similar time to a guy named Todd Grisham. Now, if you guys don't remember that, he was fucking terrible. I mean, that really, he was really the worst commentator in the UFC's history. Um, you know, as far as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I was, a, I, I've been some sort of defender of Brandon Fitzgerald. He's a guy that like has that sort of broadcasting voice, which can get a little repetitive. Like, you know, I, I'm not a sports ball fan myself, so I sometimes don't like that, but he certainly has a, like a presence about him. You know, I'll give him that. And he seems to do his research. Like, um, I, I don't know how long he's been following the UFC or MMA in general, but he's made some references to older fights before. Where I'm like, okay, at least you, I don't know if you've always been a fan, but you've at least done your research and I can appreciate that. So I don't mind Fitzgerald at all. I think he just needs the right um, partner. I think maybe he's found that with Bisping. Because I think he was with Felder for a while. Now they moved Felder to kind of be, sometimes he's on the pay-per-views, but then sometimes he's also with Goody, Goody, Gooden and Hardy, which is awesome. And then uh, this next question is from Ashwin at Omnishwin, I think. O-M-N-I-S-H-W-I-N. says, what do you make of Terman? I find it strange that a BJJ prodigy is so good at getting these guys to the ground, but is not able to finish them. I'm referring only to his UFC fights. Dude. It's interesting. Like, so Bisping said on the commentary, like the takedown he landed, that when he kind of took these guys down, he did it from the kind of like, I think they call it the seatbelt position in, in Jiu-Jitsu, BJJ, when he's like kind of like over the over the back, but you're not completely on the like kind of diagonally from one side to the other, if that makes sense. And so he kind of drags him down with like a little trip. So it from that position it's easy to pop back up from. So I, I just think he's not, um, he needs to work on his wrestling. Like I, I, I think Terman's great. Like he's yeah. The, the BJJ skills, but also pretty decent striking, like definitely good at the basics. And, 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 um, it seems to be throwing him with power. Kind of, there's some pop in there, some, some nice hand speed and kicks are, are, are flying too. So I, I like Terman personally. I, I, I didn't think it was, fair to, for people to kind of like criticize him. Maybe y'all got honey dicked by fucking Perez's Joker um, <laughs> um, weigh-in costume or whatever. And then um, next question is from Lil Uzi Horizontal, a.k.a. Genghis Jr. at Uzi for Prez. He says, just last week you put Macy on your shit list. Now she said to take on our girl Roxy. Please go on a rant about her. They're hilarious. Gotta end it with a big dude as always. Dude, I'm gonna start with the dude and end with the dude. I'm not a Macy Barber fan. Like, first of all, when she was fucking calling out Paige Van Zandt, okay, I was already not really a fan. But she was like the way she was going about it is was such a like a fucking bully mentality, and that to me is the worst kind of fucking. Um, mentality you can have just as a human in life and especially in fight promotion so i was not a fucking fan of it at all and the fact that rewarding her with a fucking veteran of the game is just like uh, baffling to me and um you know like when, when when she was going after Paige, i was sort of defending Paige or defending her stance on it, which is to like, I'm not going to reward that kind of disrespect. Like I know a fight with me, is sort of a money fight. You know, it brings a lot of eyes and I don't want to give that shine to her. And I was like, see, I'm not like a fucking Paige Van Zandt stan. Like I'm not going to be like, 
yes, queen. Like, I think at one point I said something about, like, like go ahead, queen, or whatever, but I wasn't, like, being serious. Like, a lot of people thought I was a stan because of that. But, like, I was just like, dude, fucking move on. She said no, so move on. And Macy just kept fucking at it, dude. I was just like, stop. No one likes you except for Fight Geek and a couple other people. Other than that, you're trash. Go home. Just stop, right? So when they asked to fight with Roxy, well, like, I, I will, I will always back Roxy against fucking anyone, dude. I don't give a fuck. Um, she's my girl, ride or die. I'm gonna try to get her on this podcast at some point, and I'm gonna be super nervous and uh, fucking uh, probably not good interviewer, but I'm gonna do it for you guys. Um, I'm about to get emotional um, for no reason, but dude. That's how I feel about this fight. I don't like it. I don't like it because of Macy and her fucking like. If she gets super disrespectful in the in the build up for this one, I'm I'm I've already canceled her, but I'm gonna even more cancel her to, to like a point of no return. Like that would be just like the worst thing she could do. Um, but um, am, am I gonna pick against her or I'm, I'm pick against Roxy? Hell no, dude. I don't care how good you think Macy has looked. She got wobbled by J.J. Aldrich. People forget that. People forget that. Okay? And if you think you think Macy's such a good striker, you know who's a really good striker? Antonina Shevchenko. Go watch that fight. Roxy implemented her game plan against Shevchenko and basically fucking dominated her. So, bye, Macy. Bye. Oh, so done with Macy Barber. She's becoming the fucking Luke Rockhold of women's 125. That's what she is, dude. She's the Luke Rockhold of flyweight. That's it, dude. You can't you can't disagree with that because it's true. That's not even up for debate. It's true. Um, and then he says, also seen Darko Stasek is on UFC Raleigh, which I'm attending. So I'm psyched to see my first dick kick, <laughs> bro. Darko Stasek is the master of dick kicks, dude. Darko Stasek means dick kick in Croatian or whatever the fuck. <laughs> it's so disrespectful. I probably should know his uh, ethnicity, but or nationality, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, psyched for you to see that, bro. Do some fucking live streaming from that so i can feel like i'm there with you all right next question is from dave frets at dave frets by the way this guy has lately been like sharing a lot of his artwork and you guys should go check it out because it's awesome i retweet it every time i see it um like uh, like it on instagram as well um his instagram is different from his um twitter so definitely hit him up about that um i can't think about the top of my head but he says what is the next fight to make for blahovich um, assuming we agree that performance does not warrant a title shot next. Oh, oh yeah, we agree. He's had a bit of a pileup happening at light heavyweight behind John Jones. So how would you sort out the next fights? Dude, I, I think that there's a lot of fights for, for Blachowicz. Maybe the Teixeira fight, the Glover Teixeira fight uh, would make sense. Teixeira just got a nice win. Uh, you could also do Anthony Smith. Like, there's a few fights. Or Blachowicz can fight fucking Corey Anderson. Corey Anderson, you're uh, not right up next, so... Um, so that's it. Like, there's kind of like, to me, like there is a bit of a pileup like heavily, but not really. Like th there's plenty of like matchups that the contenders can have to like sort themselves out, dude. So, um, so there's that. 
This next question is from hectic underscore one at hectic underscore one. Hectic spelled with a K. Um, by the way, I wonder if that's a fucking playoff on Mirsad Bektik. It's funny that um, Bisping said his name, his nickname should be Hectic Bektik. And in that same fight, he decided to tell everyone, hey guys, it's actually pronounced Bechtik or whatever. Fucking <laughs> terrible. Um, he, he said, I am seeing a lot of negative energy surrounding this card. People are saying the main event was boring, but I thoroughly enjoyed night boxing up Artem. I don't get the hate. It's like I was watching a totally different fight. Anyway, how cute is Tracy Cortez? I like her ground and pound. <laughs> Dude, that was a great... That's a quality tweet. That's the kind of fucking tweets I love from, from Hectic. That's the shit I do like. Um. Yeah. Again, I don't I don't see the neg- the negativity. I mean, I get it. But this is a classic case of us being like worn out. There's too many fight cards. We just had 244. We were fucking disappointed from Zabit not going 5 rounds cuz he had a fucking fake staff infection. Um so I think people were just like they needed violence so bad and when they didn't get it every single fight, people were like, "No, boo." So, um to me this wasn't like the best card, but it definitely wasn't the worst. And then, by the way, this this fucking comment from Sweet Potato, he says, I like her gap, too. Wait, that's at GMP. <laughs> what, dude? You know, when I said ground and pound, I just I read it that way, but he typed GNP, which means ground and pound, probably. Obviously. All right, this next question is from MMA Mental, which is at Scotland MMA. Scotland underscore MMA. He says, do you, like me, Feel Oliveira is good enough for a run at the top five competition. He has very few holes. Maybe a rematch with Felder. Well impressed by that kid. And off topic, won't John Jones be bored looking at the landscape of 205? Should he go up or hang about another year? Here's the thing, dude. I agree with everything you said about uh, Oliveira except the rematch with Felder. I don't need that. Like maybe if like felder kind of loses like if felder loses his next fight and Oliveira wins his next fight maybe do that fight but at the moment it doesn't make sense for felder like he has nothing to gain um in my opinion like felt like the loss like mike perry's or sorry paul felder's only on like a two-fight win streak but the, the the loss that breaks that up is a is a split decision loss against Mike Perry in which he shouldn't have had to take that fight if you guys don't remember the story of that um he was scheduled to fight James Vick, and then they pulled James Vick from that fight to fucking fight Gaethje since Ally Quinta had to pull out. And then um, Mike Perry um, also lost his fight against Chago Alves, so they rebooked them as like a last-minute fight for um, that that international fight week card or something. And um, that that was a banger of a fight. I'm, I won't say that I scored it for Felder, but I, I know it was close. And Paul Felder broke his fucking arm in the first round, so. Like, and it was at welterweight, which Paul normally fights at lightweight. Like, to me, like, that shouldn't have happened necessarily. Like, I don't count that in terms of his win streak. And, you know, um, Paul Felder doesn't need to fight Oliveira right now. He beat him decisively, so that's fine. And then in terms of John Jones, dude, like, John Jones needs to fucking move up to heavyweight. But he won't, because he's a coward, okay? And if you're a John Jones fan, listen to this, you probably hate me. But you probably hate me for other reasons already, so that's fine. Um, but John Jones is like, in his mind, he's convinced himself that he, um, 
he deserved to like still keep the belt. He he doesn't think that he should have been stripped, even though he's fucking delusional and a cheater. So he's just trying to like get back those years that he lost. And he's fucking put out this narrative like he's like want to give the back to the fans. It's not about the fans. It's about himself. Dude, he's one of the most selfish people in fucking MMA. Duh. <laughs> Billy Eilish. Um, dude, John Jones is only interested in cleaning up the division of of two hundred five. He's trying to get back that eight title defense streak he had before he was stripped of the belt, before he lost the belt. So yeah. And then uh, this next question from DJ Grayskull back in Oz. It's at DJ underscore Grayskull. He says, if Jan was treating that fight as a step towards a title shot, should he have actually tried to do something? Yes, dude, yes. The only, in my opinion, the only thing that justifies that performance is in terms of like him thinking he should get a win is if like the UFC had said, like he had put together like a, a win streak where he was just like putting dudes away and he somehow got like skipped skipped over for a title shot or whatever. And they were like, okay, Jan, win this next fight, no matter what, and you get a title shot. That that would have been okay. But to, for a friend to fight like that and then call out John Jones, sit down, dude. Put on a vest with pockets and take a hike. I should learn how to say that in Polish. So racist. Um, all right. Uh, this next question is from Fraser at Fuzz LCFC. It's probably a soccer reference. Probably hates me for saying soccer because he calls it football. It says, why did Jacques Ray move up to light heavyweight? There's a few questions. So I'm going to take them one by one. Dude, I actually liked the move. Like, hindsight is 2020. So if you're, you're, you're saying this in light of, like, the loss, like, oh, why did... But, dude, he fucking went the distance with him, first of all. Uh, so and it takes two to tango. So I fought Jan just as much as I fought Jacare for that fight. And in terms of like what happened there, like he didn't look too outmatched for Jan in terms of size. So I think it's like he was always one of the bigger 185ers. Like when he fought Robert Whitaker, this is before Whitaker was like a kid. Like to me, the Jacare fight made Whitaker like a threat. And like when he they were matched up, I thought Jacare was gonna fucking manhandle Whitaker. And that's when he fucking proved to us that he's the Reaper and he's a fucking beast. So there was that. But like, Jucker was just so much bigger. And I was like, damn, dude. So um, in my opinion, Jacare looks good at 205. He just needed a better matchup. There's plenty of fights left for Jacare, dude. Plenty of fights. Um, and then he says, why is Barrow still fighting? Your guess is as good as mine, dude. I think he should just call it quits. He's not going to fucking win another fight ever. So just stop. You're making yourself look bad. And then he said, why was this such a shit card? Again, I don't think it was that shit of a card. I think it was just, it's just timing and fucking matchups. You know, they can all be bangers. But I belabored that point several times on this podcast, so we're not going to keep going that. But thank you for your questions, bro. You're the man. All right. Uh, this is from Cyrus King at Cyrus King. says, is the light heavyweight division for the males officially the worst division in the UFC? So I love that he says to light division for the ma- light heavyweight division for the males as if there's a female light heavyweight division. 
Love that. It's. I don't think it's the worst division in the UFC, actually. First of all, speaking of a male versus female distinction, the female featherweight division is probably the worst in the UFC because it's the most shallow. And if it's not a title fight, I'm not interested. Uh, and he says, also, do you think it was a, a mistake for Dana to let Ryan Bader and Phil Davis go to Bellator? Or even if they were around, would the division still suck? Dude, I think if they were still around, it would be better um, than it is. But I don't necessarily think it was a mistake for them to for the, for Dana to to have let them walk. You know, like kudos to them; they both became champions um, in Bellator, and rightly so. And um, you know, more 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 power to them. Um, I think Phil Davis. It was a shame that Phil Davis never got his title shot in the UFC. Um, and that I would have loved to see him fight John Jones. That would be a fun fight because like Phil Davis has some quality wins on wins on his resume. Like go back and look at him. I think he beat um, fucking Rumble Johnson and uh, Gustafson as well. Like these are guys that like contended for the title um, a bunch of times. So it's a shame. Uh, next question is from Dylan Barry at D Y L A N B A R R I E underscore. And he says, at what point did you fall asleep in the main event? <laughs> Dude, if I was watching it live, probably the fifth round, because that's the one I said I walked away. Um, but um, like I said, I fucking left right before the co-main to be with my lady. Um, we went and saw a movie. We went and saw Last Christmas. Spoiler alert, it wasn't that good, but I still cried because I'm a softie. Um, all right, the next question is from Marcus Johnston at Johnston underscore Marcus. And dude, I saw this guy's bio and I followed him back immediately. Um, give cancer hell, man. Like if, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I'm a, I'm a fucking two-time cancer survivor. And um, I talk about that openly. A bunch of people on Twitter just found out because they don't fucking listen to the podcast. Um, but um, his question is, why do you think Jan was content to let Jacare keep him against the cage? He didn't try for underhooks or reverse position. He just kind of waited for his moment and squirted out. Was this to conserve energy? I'm just baffled as to why Jan didn't do better in that regard. Yeah, dude, it was like he was fighting to not lose. Like, this to me, like, is baffling. Like, when he fought Luke Rockhold, he knew he had to make a statement, right? And he knew, like, Jan was like, was saying, like, oh, I'm going to beat Jan, and I'm going to get a title shot. Like, he felt, like, so... Like, he needed to have a chip on his shoulder like he did in that that, that Luke fight, especially with Jacare coming up uh, from middleweight. Like, again, I don't think he was undersized, Jacare was, but being that he was coming from a lower weight class, Jan needed to fucking put him away. Or at least be dominant. And he just wasn't dominant. He was fighting to not lose. Like, yeah, he won, maybe... But only because he might have landed more shots. Like Jacare was was the only one in that fight implementing some sort of game plan. Like implementing their will in terms of like trying to trying to get it to their fucking strengths, like trying to control the positions. You know? And the next, this next question is from Doggo's Bark. Like some weird font and exclamation points. Funny. Handle is at Mickey M15. He says that why was it boring? probably referring to UFC Sao Paulo. Unless you're referring to the main event. If you're referring to the main event, yeah, it was fucking terrible. But uh, I don't think the fight card was that boring, sir. Plenty of fun fights on there. Terman, I mentioned Terman Perez was fun. Um, Randy Brown versus Willie Alves. Maybe you didn't watch the prelims. 
uh, which is fine. Not everyone has to watch the prelims, but uh, James Cross had a nice win. Yeah, it was a lot of fun fights. Speaking of that, this next question from Carl Jones um, at Carlito Heat. It says, let's be different here. What were the highlights for you? I'd say Randy Brown, De Silva, Kraus, and Oliveira were standouts. Yes, dude, I second that. All of those. All had the Lipsky fight. Even the, the Cortez fight wasn't wasn't bad, dude. Like, um, there were plenty of fun fights. And actually, aside from the goddamn, like, fake illegal knee situation and the fact that Ahoyo didn't let Munez, like, um, didn't let him up when he should have, when he was just, like, content to kind of, like, stand in his guard and, like, kick his legs for some reason. It was so weird. But when Muniz like almost had him in those submissions, though th- th- that was exciting to me. When he almost finished the armbar, I was like, "Dude, he's gonna fucking snap his arm!" Like that was super exciting to me. So, um, plenty to like about this card. And then next question is from Joe Blogs seventy four. Says since it looks like this card was shit, should the UFC ban Brazil cards from now on as punishment? Meaning put more cards on in the UK. <laughs> Wishful thinking, sir. Um, I mean, I always love um, European uh, fight nights and cards in the UK, but in terms of that, when I say wishful thinking, the UFC has a deal with, um, I think it's Globo or some some outlet in Brazil um, where they have to have a certain number of Brazilian cards. The UFC is like running out of fucking deals to make, dude. Like they made a deal with Brazil. They made deals with like fucking Sky Sport or BT Sport or whatever to like put cards on in the in the UK and then they've got deals with fucking now they have a deal with Saudi Arabia now they have a deal with M1 to like co-promote them in in Russia like there's only so many weeks in a year UFC that's just a little tangent about fucking deals but um next question from him also Joe Bloggs he says do you think Jason Knight is now the GOAT after beating previous GOAT Artem Lobov I guess if MMA Math has anything to um, to say about that, um, then you're right. But um, I don't want to live in a world where Jason Knight is the GOAT. To me, Artem, Artem Lobov will always be the GOAT. Um, actually, what makes him the GOAT is that he he will fight fucking anybody. So, so, like, we can't also say, like, oh, Andre Felix is the GOAT for beating him and, like, Michael Johnson is the GOAT for beating him. So um, Jason Knight may be the, the GOAT bare-knuckle boxer. We can probably say that. I mean, not really, but you know, they're one-on-one, so the trilogy needs to happen. Although, I would like to see the trilogy in MMA, dude. I would like to see the trilogy in MMA. Let's get them, like, a, a one-fight deal with fucking Combate or something. Which is, they would be the, the most random fucking fighters to have in Combate, but those are the kind of fights that Combate likes. And that concludes the forum, guys and gals. Um, obviously, there's no UFC for the next couple of weeks. And so what I'd like to do is do a few different things. And uh, I'm going to tell you about that right now. Okay. So next week, what I'd like to do is uh, we're going to hop into the time machine a little bit and just kind of revisit an old fight card. Um, I went back and forth on which fight card to revisit. And... I thought about like one of my favorite moments in MMA and it's, and it's, and it's because it like I was kind of a part of it was UFC 199 um, when Michael Bisping uh, beat Luke Rockhold and won the belt. Um, just an amazing moment. And this is the first event I attended live. 
Um, and uh, there was just like every single fight was fucking awesome. And there's a, there's a there's a couple. Uh, it had some sort of his, historical significance, which we're going to talk about next week. And um, there was just a lot of fun storylines to come out of that card. So if you want to be like uh, I don't know, prepped for it or or on you know feel like you'd be ready, hop onto Fight Pass or or however you do it and rewatch UFC 199. Um, every single fight on that card is good. I don't care what you say. So we're going to be talking about every single fight on that card next week. And then, um, hopefully I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be joined by a guest. So, um, if, if that doesn't happen, um, I'm not going to tell you who it is just in case, uh, but, uh, we're going to try and try and make that happen. And, uh, yeah. And I wanted to leave you with this final, final thought. So I, I teased it earlier and I had tweeted out, um, the other day, that I said hipster MMA fans are the worst. Obviously, joking because I am one in a sense. Um, and I found this. Uh, th- I didn't find this just just the other day. I actually found this like I think when it first came out. Like this is a ten month old Reddit post. Um, yeah, because I remember I remember reading it on my other podcast. Actually, shameless plug for that on our New Year's episode. So I had to have seen it when it first came out. Um. But this says, The Hipster's Guide to the Modern UFC. Gone are the just-bleed days when the devil's king, Dana, was god, and the UFC appealed solely to beer-swilling shitheads wearing tap-out shirts and baggy jeans. As fighting technique at the highest level has become more sophisticated, so too has a portion of the fan base. Your pants are slim, your glasses non-prescription, and your martial arts palette is exceptional. You are a combat sports hipster, and here is your guide to the UFC. You convince your casual friends to watch the fights several hours before the main card starts because Hani Yaya is on the prelims. You reminisce about his stint in K1 that you never watched. During fights, you celebrate well-executed cage cutting and feints the same way others applaud damaging strikes. Dominic Cruz was one of your favorite fighters until he lost to Garbrandt. You affirm that his footwork is next level, but is a double-edged sword as it most likely contributed to his plantar fasciitis. Hardy Gooden is the promotion's best commentary duo. They might be onto something with Felder. Condit is nasty off his back, but the game has just moved on. He was one of your favorite fighters until he lost to Magni. You note to casuals how the calf kick is establishing itself in the sport, which is a wel- welcome development, though you limit the absence of an educated jab in most fighters' games. During Nate's fights, you expound on his output in triathlon training. With Aldo, it's leg kicks and his background in soccer. You don't understand why exactly, but you assert that the frequency of successful head and arm throws in women's MMA is proof that the women's game still lags behind the men's. You are quick to set people straight about Khabib's dominance, letting them know that Glayson Tebow gave him a run for his money, though you haven't actually watched that fight. You quip that McGregor's kicks are nothing more than a smoke screen for his left hand. You stole this analysis from Joe Lozon breakdown and don't credit, it, credit him. Lozon is a legend and was one of your favorite fighters until he lost to Chris Gritzmacher. Peter Yan is a future champion. Nothing makes you more irate than when a fighter jumps for a guillotine and ends up on his back. You say something about fight IQ and this happens. It's not that Holloway switches stances, it's that he switches stances mid-combination. Bisping's win over, wins over Silva and Rockhold are testament to meat and potatoes fundamentals. 
you tweeted a gif of Antonio Carlos Jr. and Eric Spicely playing high-level 50-50 guard to Meryl Streep after the Golden Globes. You started a rumor that you are BJJ Scout. You don't watch other promotions that much, but you've got your eye on the Bellator Welterweight Tournament, are keeping tabs on Horiguchi, and if Chad ever goes old school, you keep your head above water with empty references to Shogun's Pride Run and Nick Diaz's Gogo Plata. Dude, when I first read this, I felt fucking attacked. Dude, I was like, uh. And I won't say which ones, but some of those, dude, I was like, are they talking about me? Dude. I thought this was a fucking super accurate post and uh, just made me laugh when I first read it. So if you hadn't heard it, I wanted to kind of highlight that. Guys. Uh, this episode was a bit weird for me. I'm in a weird state of mind, so I apologize if it wasn't the best. And um, as it happens with every episode, I feel that way. And then you guys tweeted me certain things, and it makes me uh, feel warm and fuzzy inside. So you guys are the fucking best. And uh, with that, I guess uh, look forward to keeping it weird for the next few weeks. We're going to kind of do some interesting things for the next, next two episodes. And um, other than that... You can follow me on um, social media, Twitter and Instagram. Same handle is at FWM underscore pod. Um, You can also um, send me questions via DM throughout the week. That way, if you don't want to like lose train of thought, if you think of something, um, you can also email me anything um, in terms of like, well, I mean, you can literally email me anything except for nudes because I'm married. But um Email me questions or whatever um, at fightingwithmyselfpod at gmail.com. Actually, um, the voice questions that you hear on the show, um, most like 90% of them are submitted from Anchor, the platform that hosts this podcast. But those questions are, they have a one minute time limit on them, which some of you have already know and um, are annoyed by. If you want to avoid that time limit, you can record them on your own and send them to me. Um, Ali Ra and Sweet Potato do that on the weekly. And then a few other people have done that as well. Get plenty of voice questions that way. Uh, Wes from the Donkey Show podcast does that. Um, but yeah, anyways, um, you guys are the tits. If anything's ever on your mind, please feel free to hit me up. I say I try and say it as much as I can. If you are going through a tough time in any way, if you are struggling with any sort of um, depression or anxiety, please reach out. Please reach out to me. DMs are always open. There's plenty of us... Um, on here that are um, they're feeling the same way. So please do that. And um, yeah. Um, and also if, if you see someone that you think may be struggling, please you reach out because they may be in, in, in a, in a pit of, of self pity and self loathing, uh, maybe not self pity, but self loathing and, and depression that they um, are un, un, unable to reach out. So please be mindful of that. And um, otherwise, good night and good fights.